Steve read Ephesians 1, 11 to 18. The whole context is Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 11 to 18. The whole context is Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. And I'll be speaking just on Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. It is a rich passage, full, full, full to the overflow, which I trust you will catch the sense of it this morning. And to that end, let us pray. Father, your word has been read to us. And now, Lord, because you have promised your spirit to give us understanding, I pray that thus will be the case. That, Father, from the youngest person in this room to the oldest person, there will be nuggets of truth that will be significant for their lives. Not only to those who sit and listen, but to him who stands and speaketh. May your spirit be the teacher of these next moments as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't suppose you have it here. At least I haven't heard anyone talking about it. And that is the, having the, um, uh, what we call anniversary service. In, in Canada, we have an anniversary service that every year the church celebrates the year in which it was built or rebuilt or whatever the case may be. Uh, and may I remind those of you who are new here that if we were to do that here, we would have been celebrating for 120 times because this, this, this ministry has been extant since that time. But at an anniversary service, a young man went to the speaker and he said to him, all I have heard about is what happened in the past. Yesterday, last year, 10 years. Is that all these people ever talk about? And the speaker was, was wise and sensitive enough and he said this, the only thing that is worse than nostalgia, the only thing that is worse than nostalgia is amnesia. Don't wait until you get home to get that. <laughs> if, you, if you do not know what is happening now, you will not understand why they were reminded of the past. And Paul is doing this in this text. He begins with that tremendous forceful word, therefore, remember, and, and when therefore comes, and then we're told to remember, remember is very significant because of the word therefore. I remind you again, when I was in college, our professors used to say, students, when you see the word therefore, ask the question what it is there for. It is there for a reason. And I want to speak to you this morning on remembering you men know what it is to forget a certain date if you're married. You may forget the birthday, but don't forget the anniversary. And you know the consequences. One of, one of my legacies is that I, I have to remind my wife of our anniversary date. I love that. You know, she says, isn't it today? I'll say, no, honey, it's not today. It's tomorrow. And, I, you know, if, if, if it were to turn around, I'd be in trouble. 
You know, if I had forgotten it and she remembered it. But I always have to do that for her. And I, for some reason, that day clouds her mind. I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that she's married to me or not. But, uh. but you know how important it is to remember. We have Armistice Day. We remember something. And perhaps if I may just take a moment to say that one of the reasons that I think many young people today do not appreciate the context in which they live is because they have forgotten what was done in order that they might enjoy what is there today. We have Easter. Remember Calvary. Every month we come with the communion table. Well, St. Paul wants us to remember something about the masterpiece that we talked about last week. That the masterpiece is not yet finished. That God is not yet completed his work of making you and me his masterpiece so that he'll be able to put us on display in a day to come so that the very angels in heaven will grasp, will gasp Is this what you have made out of this? What a wonder. And so Paul wants us to understand, first of all, the importance of remembering. It's significant. Let me suggest to you that the word in which it is used there is a command, not a suggestion. It is not an idea. He is saying, I want you to remember. And one of the wonderful things we see is that what this word literally means is to exercise the mind. To remember is to exercise the mind. The idea is to call to mind something that has taken place. And this tremendous gift of memory, God has given to you and to me to store history. So that what is significant in history can be recalled at a certain time to have effects upon the present situation I find myself in. Or you find yourself in. In Luke chapter 16, there's a tragic story given by Jesus. It is a story of the rich man and Lazarus. In in his lifetime... The rich man wanted absolutely nothing to do with Lazarus. He lived his life for his possessions, for his riches, for his reputation. Lazarus sat at his gate day by day with absolutely nothing. Even the dogs feared better than Lazarus as far as this rich man was concerned. And the scripture says, he died and so did Lazarus. And when he died... He became conscious of the fact that he neglected a lot of things in life. And so he asked Abraham, in paradise, there was a gap between where he was and where Abraham was. And Jesus said he cried out from the other side, Will you please send Lazarus to my brothers to tell them not to come to this place? And Abraham and Jesus is saying to us, The word came back, remember that in your lifetime, this is how you lived. Remember. This this gives me a sense, my friends, that when we leave this life and we go to the other world, 
we will remember certain things in this life, things, you know, I've often wondered what it meant in Revelation when it says God will wipe away all tears. Before we stop crying forever, God will have to wipe away some of our tears. Because we'll be, we'll, we'll be able to remember. We'll remember hearing his word. We'll remember doing his will or not doing it. We will call to memory that we did not really serve him with all our hearts. And before we're able to enter into the joy of our Lord, we will have to see how God worked, how his providence worked, how his grace worked, how his mercy worked. And we're going to have to say, I was so blinded by You will remember, I will remember, and thankfully, he will not remind us to condemn us. He will remind us to reward us. When I was a young Christian, there used to be a song, by and by when we look at his face, beautiful face, wonderful face, by and by when we look at his face, we'll wish we had given him more. We'll remember. But Paul is not calling us to wait until then to remember. Last week we heard about God's masterpiece. This week we want to speak about the wonder of that masterpiece. And the only way we're going to remember is if we look into the text. And when we look into the text, we'll see how critical remembering is. If you look in 2 Peter 1.9, in 2 Peter 1.9, Peter is talking about the fantastic privilege we have of being Christians and what should happen after we believe in Jesus. And then in verse 9 he says this, if you lack these things, if you lack these things, it is because you have forgotten that he has purged you from your sins. If you lack this. So Peter is saying, one of the reasons we do not really enjoy much of our Christian life is because we have forgotten much of our Christian life. We can live from day to day and enjoy a number of things from God, but it never, it never comes home to us that the reason I am enjoying this is because something that God has done in the past for my life has significance to my life now. And I cannot afford to forget this because if I forget this, it will rob me of being truly committed fully to Jesus Christ. If I remember it, if I remember it, one of my my favorite line, of course, is, is Freddie Flintstone, who forgets his wife's anniversary. And at midnight, he decides to go and try and find a store that's open so he can buy something for Wilma. And he gets into a lot of trouble. If only he had remembered at the appropriate time, he would be able to sleep a whole night. (laughs) But he forgot. And my friends, 
Let me suggest to you something here. When Peter, when Peter is saying you have forgotten, when Paul is saying remember, he's saying that if we are to truly enter into this whole scheme of God where he is making a masterpiece out of our lives, it takes hard work. Incorporating with God to finish his masterpiece, we have to be committed to him. He's not going to make us into a masterpiece reluctantly on your part or mine. We will have to give ourselves, we'll have to say, this is something that I have to do to cooperate with God so that he can continue his work he started. In salvation, it took absolutely nothing from you or me. Not by works of righteousness. But now he's going to make the masterpiece and he says, if you, are going to, if you are going to enjoy this, I'm going to tell you, you have to be careful to give your mind to things that will, 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 will crowd you to Christ. You have to give your imagination to things that will crowd you to Christ. You will see in a minute, this, not, this isn't going to do away with living. With the things we're used to enjoying every day, none at all. It simply means that you're going to take those things and you're going to enhance them at a level where you enjoy God's creation as God himself does. So what's the incidental then of remembering? We see the importance of it. It's essential. Paul now is going to go into how God is making us his masterpiece. And he wants the, 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 the Ephesian Christians to remember something. The first thing he wants to say is that before you became a Christian, before I became a Christian, well, let me go back to, 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 to the Jews and the Gentiles first, then we come to us. He says, remember that in the times past, you were Gentiles after the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by hands. In other words, between the Jews and the Gentiles, they understood each other from their flesh, that is, from their creativeness. They wanted nothing to do with each other. And now that they are sitting in one room, Paul says, I want you to remember how this took place. No committee could get a Jew and a Gentile to sit together. The Jews were actually the circumcision. That was, that was a, a practice by the Jews to identify them as related to God. The uncircumcision was something that the Gentiles did not practice. So I want you to look with me in the text again. Look at verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you were called that verb called oh you know what that word is saying this is how they thought about you when they talked about you as gentiles this is what they thought about you are the scum as far as they're concerned let me give you some ideas of what the jews thought of the gentiles listen to this this is found in the rabbinic literature lord i thank you that i was not born a woman a dog or a Gentile. That's the attitude. Listen to this. Gentiles are only good as fuel for hell. 
Listen to this. A Gentile who was giving birth must never be helped by a Jew because by bringing another child into the world, you're only bringing in a heathen. You were called. You were called. In the temple, there were places where the Jews could go, but the Gentiles could never go. And in the rabbinic literature, it is said, any Gentile who goes beyond this section can only be responsible for the death that will follow. The hostility. Even today in the United Nations, uh, you want to know why there will never be a peace talk between the Palestinians and, and the Israelis? I'll tell you why. Because even at that point, they cannot even agree on who will sit beside who and who will sit in what chair. The hatred. But my friends, you and I were born with that same kind of hostility toward other people. It doesn't matter who you are, black or white. The, the, because we are separated from God, as we shall see, it separates us from everybody else. And Paul is saying, I want you to remember that if you are able to sit with someone else from a different disposition than you and to celebrate with them one thing, that's something that God has done. That's a part of the masterpiece. That God is able to bring people who are hostile toward each other and let them sit together and celebrate the glory of God. That's the masterpiece. He can take us wherever we go in this world. And if we find someone who has been reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, it is because they have been a part of the masterpiece that God is making. One of the most amazing things we find in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Listen to this as I read. Galatians 2, 11 to 15. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him. This is Paul talking. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, that is from Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came he began to withdraw himself and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. When nobody was watching, Peter did not mind eating with the Gentiles. But when Jews came from Jerusalem, all of a sudden the old ideas came up again. The old feelings came up again. They die hard, friends, and we've got to die to them daily. That's what the scripture teaches. They don't die readily. No human machinery exists that could bring two groups together who hated each other. I was listening to a report yesterday from Canada, and they were talking about the difference between the age of technology and the age when we had to work together. And in Japan, for example... Because Japan doesn't want a lot of foreigners coming to Japan. One of the things they're doing now, they're making robots to do the jobs that they used to bring people to do so that those foreigners don't have to come into the country. And so the, the speaker was asked, what's, 
what is the difference between that and what we're doing and what we used to do? And I won't go into the whole thing, but what I liked was this. He said, the thing that we will need, even in the age of technology, is to realize, and these are my words now, I'm just interpreting his, to realize <laughs> that if you have a robot, a computer, they can do a lot of things, a lot of things, by the way. As far as I understand, Stevie can correct me if I'm wrong, no matter what, what the computer can do, you have to program it. <laughs> the, the computer can't say, I feel like going out tonight out of town. I'd like to have a nice meal tonight. A computer or a robot can't say that. They can do it, but they have to be programmed for it. In other words, my friends, what, what we're seeing here is that the true test of being a masterpiece is not that we are mechanically put together, but that God is able to bring us with all our differences so that there's one difference that supersedes all the differences so we can sit as one. That's the masterpiece. That's something the world doesn't know anything about. In fact, let me suggest to you, the angels in heaven are so conscious of the division of human beings so that when they come together, Ephesians 3.10, we'll get to that one of these years. In Ephesians 3.10 it says that when God brings the church together, when he brings people from every background and they sit together and they celebrate the glory of God, the angels... Look on with wonder. Angels. Because angels know that apart from the grace of God, human beings live in antagonism against each other. So that we need to, to be reconciled to one another. That's one of the incidental of remembering that I love my brother, I love my sister. I love that person with whom I disagree, but I tell you my love supersedes my disagreement. And this is something that God has done. Only God could do that. But then the Apostle Paul said in verse 12, there needed to be another reconciliation. If I needed to be reconciled to one another, I needed to be reconciled with God. Verse 12 said, you were without hope and without God in this world, or separated from God. You were not a part of what God was doing in the world. You know, I'm thinking, thinking through this. Whenever a person loses hope in this world, whenever a person loses hope, the only hope they have is the hope to die. Whenever a person loses hope, and who can give hope if, if I know that if I die this minute, I will go to heaven and be with him, not having to answer for the sins of the past. I can live in hope. But if I know that I have to answer to God for my sins, and I know that I still live with this sense of guilt, I live in fear of living and I live in fear of dying. So how am I then going to, how am I going to, to get to the place where I know that I can live or die because I have hope in God. God has done that. God has taken care of that. We'll read in verse 13 that Jesus Christ is our peace. That in relationship with him, something the computer cannot do, cannot build relationship. 
people build relationship. And so if I need to be reconciled to one another because of the hostility between us, and we'll see some more of that next week. And if I need to be reconciled to God, reconciliation to God lifts me to the place where I am ready to be reconciled with my brother, with my sister, with my enemy. I can't help but think, comes to mind, Corrie ten Boom, you'll remember her, concentration camp, saw what they did to her sister that led to her death. And Corrie tells the story. <laughs> she said, after the war was finished, God was beginning to use my life. And one day, walking, someone walked up to me and said, Corey, you don't remember me, but I was the soldier who caused your sister's death. I have become a Christian. And Corey, I want to ask your forgiveness. And he held his hand out. And, and Corey Temboon said, as his hands were held out to me, the whole past passed before my mind. What he did to my sister, what he did to me. I mean, just demean their, their, their femininity and everything you can imagine. And Corey said, in that moment, I lifted my heart to God. And I said, oh God, I need to know, the, I need to remember right now how you forgave my sins in order that I might forgive him. And Corey said, as I lifted my heart to God, my hands went out and met his. See? What the world needs, friends, is not a committee that can help man to live together. What the world needs is a God who is powerful enough to change the hearts of men so men choose to love one another. That's what the world needs. That's what the church is about. We'll say some more things later on. Thirdly, the intent. The intent of remembering. We've seen the importance. It's critical that we do. Because if we don't, we'll forget. What, what, are the, what are the ingredients of remembering? Remember how we were brought to one another. Remember how we were brought to God. All is the work of God. So now what's the intention of that? Verse 13 of our text. The, the, I better turn to Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near. Please, please look at this. How were we brought near? The text tells us as well. It's essential that we understand this. We were brought near by the blood of Christ. What he's saying is this. For God to change the human heart to come to him and to come to one another, for God to do that, it took the death of Christ. Jesus Christ had to die 
So reconciliation, this masterpiece, cost God the blood of His Son. Remember that. We cannot be careless about our relationship with one another. All through the scriptures, we are reminded again and again and again that the way in which God brought us to Himself, the way in which God brought us to one another, the way in which God is making us a masterpiece for the display to all creation, is that it cost Him the blood of His Son. We, we, we love the scripture, don't we? We know it. We repeat it from childhood. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is what the eternal life is. Eternal life is to know God. That's what eternal life is, to know God. Imagine, imagine a, 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 a boy from Central America who heard the gospel, became a believer, and has the audacity to say that he knows God? I hope you do. I hope you do. Because that's what eternal life is. It was the intention of God that the way in which he was going to make me know him, the way in which he was going to make me to love you and you to love me, is that Christ had to shed his blood. Go with me quickly to Re Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Listen to these words. Revelation 5. <coughs> Verse 9. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb to receive, I'm sorry, the, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and honor. Why? Because, look at verse eight, 9, go back to verse 9. This is why he's worthy to receive riches and honor and praise. Worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals, for you were slain. This is what's happening in heaven. You were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men, women, boys, girls from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. I was sharing this with someone the other day. In 1967, I was a student and, and represented my school in what is known as Urbana. How I wish we could take some of our young people and send them to Urbana. Great, great experience in Urbana, Illinois. It's a missions conference for students. At that time, when I went, there were 21,000 students there. From, from all around the world. It was a great, great moment in my life. The one, I, I, have, I have forgotten almost everything, not everything, I still remember many things of it, but one of the things that lives in my mind was when we were taking communion. Can you imagine what it's like to serve communion for 21,000 people? And I remember being in that, in that vast auditorium from every tongue and every tribe and every color, 
and whoever he or she may be, with one voice we were singing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let every, every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball sing praise to him because he has washed us in his blood. Calvary is the means, the grounds, the basis by which we can sit and celebrate with one another, not who we are, but whose we are. Well, it's a great moment. I, I'll take it with me to my grave. Well, to heaven, actually. That's the cost, friends. Paul wants us to remember this. It cost God something to make us sit as we are this morning. It was not just a wish. One of the wishes I have is to clean my garage. I've been doing that for six years. It'll take more than wish, let me tell you. God did it. For my cleansing, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, I would just love to just end the service right here, and I will. I will. A voice from the past, and that of one Dr. Andrew Murray says this, the blood of Christ, it is the power of that blood in heaven has been manifested in the removal of everything that could bring about a separation from God, awaken the wrath of God, so that in Christ we are granted the utmost freedom of entrance to and the most intimate intercourse with God. Peace has been made. Peace has been proclaimed. Peace reigns in heaven. We are perfectly reconciled to God and may I add, reconciled to one another. My friends, if someone is in this place this morning who doesn't know this, you know, I, I, I say this with a great deal of care, real, great deal of care. When, when I, was, I was pastoring in, 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 in Toronto, we had a huge concert at the end of the year. And when everything was finished, I saw a gentleman looking somewhat bewildered in the basement of the church and of the building. And I went to him and I said, "Um, can I help you? And and he he said, well, you know, I don't know which door I came in. I can't find my hat. So I said to him, what's what's your name and what's your address? I'll look for it. And we'll get it to you. <laughs> he said, are you the janitor? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> are you the janitor? See, friends, if I was not reconciled to God, I would be offended at that. But because I'm reconciled to God, it was humor. Humor. We will see next week That this masterpiece, we still have some of the things we brought into this world. But what we're able to do, because God is the one who is making us, we're able to rise above all the differences so that we can sit with one. And we could say, 
with one voice, my Jesus, I love you, I know you are mine. For you, all the pleasures of sin, I resign. My gracious companion, my, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee. See, this is the masterpiece that God is making. The masterpiece of your life and my life so that we will love in a degree that the world knows nothing about and only God could be credited for. Let us pray. Oh God, what a wonder. This is what God is doing. This led the hymn writer to, wrote, to write several years ago, ago about the church. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God. I pray that the Spirit may have given us this morning a glimpse of this masterpiece so that we celebrate with God what he's doing for God's glory. In Jesus' name, amen.